Hey, this is Alex, and I have good news about the Patreon for this podcast, because we had a huge influx of new supporters over the holidays. Thank you all. And then a few more people from there, and then a few people increased their support this past week. Long story short, we have reached our next group goal on the Patreon page. We got there. And that goal is democracy. Now that we have a big enough community to do it, every SIFPod Patreon supporter gets to submit topic ideas. You get to suggest things for this show to be about, then you get to vote on them in a monthly poll, and then the winning topic in that poll becomes an episode of the show. We're going to do that every month from here on out. So thank you so much for already supporting the podcast, if that describes you. And congratulations on your new benefit, on us, you know, suggesting things for this to be about. If you don't support it yet, you can head to sifpod.fun and become a voting listener. Become someone who backs this and makes it all possible. That's the good news. I am so excited to find out what the listener-chosen topics are going to be. And in the meantime, here is an Alex-chosen topic. Blue. Known for being a color. Famous for being your favorite color, maybe. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why blue is secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. Bringing back two amazing guests today for the second ever episode about a color. If you heard the third ever episode about the color gray, you know of Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. They are back for the color blue today. Adam Todd Brown is the creator host, proprietor, all-knowing, all-seeing leader of the Unpopular Opinion Podcast Network, which is one of the absolute best things you can put in your ears at all. They're also doing comedy shows on the internet now. They're doing all kinds of other things. And then Jeff May is frequently on that network. He also co-hosts Tom and Jeff Watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. He's the host of Sideshow's Sideshow, which is a podcast from Sideshow Collectibles. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Adam recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Ortongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. Acknowledge Jeff recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Ortongva and Keech and Chumash and Fernandinho Tataviam peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about the color blue, which might be the biggest topic in terms of just the size and scale of it that we've ever done on this podcast before. And this podcast is is aiming to be about the absolute most interesting and amazing and fascinating things about something It is not aiming to be encyclopedic. We're not trying to cover every single thing you could possibly say about a topic. And that's never been more true than with blue. So on this episode, we will not cover one or two things that your science teacher probably did, like why the sky is blue, why the sea is blue, um, how blue eyes work. There's no pigment in them, actually. There's a lot of stuff like that that uh, you probably learned in science class or you can Google very easily. 
we are going to go deeper. We're going to go weirder and we're going to go a lot more historical in particular about this color that the world uh, has decided is pretty much its favorite. So I hope you love it. I'm really excited. And with that said, please sit back or stand in front of a mirror and check if you are wearing any of the color blue right now. Like you, you probably are. I probably just did a magic trick. And if you're not wearing it, you beat the system. Great job. And either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Adam, Jeff, thank you so much for coming back. We got a whole new slice of the uh, the old rainbow to do. Very excited. Hey, thanks. Hey. Thanks for having us back on your freaking show. I appreciate it. I love it. it. I, I love it. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Long time listeners, second time caller. Was that Jeff? Is that Jeff May? That's sorry, Adam. I know. I didn't know that was going to be this kind of show. Oh, it sure is. It's a bad boy show. I didn't know this ice hole was going to show up. Look at this. I am the bad boy of podcasting, ladies and gentlemen, and I am here <laughs> to ruin your day. That's true. I like that a lot of people will know this is a joke fight and a few people will not. Like they're totally new to the show and you guys and, and uh, we'll just be really tense. Really good. And here's the thing. We're going to fight those people next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, new listeners, batten down the hatches, bro. We're coming for you. Buckle up. <laughs> We're going to beat you black and wait for it. Blue. Whoa. What? What? Jeff May is wearing the color that we're talking about and brings up the color we're talking about. Always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. How do you guys feel about the color blue? I recently joined the Crips. <laughs> okay. So um, cool. it's been really good for me. No, uh, I'm a blue is my it tends to be my go to color. Navy is the uh, is the official color of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, blue is the official color of my uh, piercing eyes. Oh, uh, and I just happen to wear blue a lot. I like it. I realized I, I, I often realize I never know people's eye color and did not notice you're a blue eyed fella. Good for you. <laughs> Congratulations. <Jeff. laughs> Thank you. I tried very hard and I feel like I'm quite successful at it. Yeah. <laughs> He's been he's been cultivating those blues. They were brown mm. when he was born. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, most babies have blue eyes when they're born. Gross. <laughs> and then eventually the pigment comes in. For me and blue, the thing Jeff said jokingly about joining the Crips. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, which I've often described as all the violence and poverty of Chicago with none of the nightlife. Mm. And <laughs> There was a legitimate gang problem in Peoria, Illinois, to the point that wearing red or wearing blue could actually get you in some trouble, depending on where, like, what part of town you were in, which for me because I was a huge Bulls fan, and the colors you, you could not wear were red and black or blue and black. Red and black was Vice Lords, blue and black was Disciples, oh. and most of the gang element my sister hung out with were disciples so i spent most of that bulls run not being able to wear bulls gear oh which kind of but also when you're in that town and when you're in that age you're like i don't want to wear bulls stuff i want to wear other colors and like cool things so was, that's how i justified it anyway i was too scared to wear a bulls jacket to school because i would get beat up yeah. Literally. Wow. I didn't even want to wear this Bulls jersey. But I would wear like 
Bears stuff. Like I'm uh, I'm a football guy above any other sport. So like I I can I can I can flick with a dark blue, but once you start getting into the royal blues and stuff, I feel like I'm too fat and I sweat too much and like it's just not not the right color for me, man. I look like a blueberry. <laughs> there should be an unwritten rule in gang culture that you can't have colors of the local sports team because it's not fair. Yeah. That's very true. <laughs> uh, I also really like that Eiffel 65 song back in 2000. So let me let me tell you something. When I was prepping this, I probably spent an entire hour of my life learning about the song Blue by Eiffel 65. And it is not very interesting. The background <laughs> is just like there were a couple dudes in an Italian studio who threw it together in two hours and it was a big hit. And later they got in a fight with each other that like I watched. There's a Vice documentary that is 28 minutes long about the origin of Blue by Eiffel 65. And it's the least interesting thing I've ever seen. It's the worst. I'm very mad. Yeah, even that's too much. That's too much time for me to spend on that song. I hated that song. <laughs> so much there's something to be said too about um something that you think is about to be interesting and then it's boring like if you've yeah. ever watched the commentary of die hard it is like it's like the most boring thing i've ever seen it makes die hard so much worse <laughs> i'm like why am i why am i doing this when i could just be watching die hard <laughs> yeah but good for them for making a two hour like spending two hours to make a song that made them millionaires yeah that's kind of it like and and they're just three Italian electronic music guys, and there was nothing interesting about making it other than one of them was playing an arpeggio on the piano that became the do 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 do, and that that was kind of it. That, that's the whole story. That's actually it's not, not that interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna listen to that song. I'm gonna listen to that song today. <laughs> oh, I hate that song so much. And it was like because it was all this. Everybody was like, "What? What are they saying? Is this?" Is it some sort of like gay subtext or is it like, what is it about being sad? Nobody could tell. And it's like, I, I don't, I don't know if there was anything. They threw it together. I don't know if it yeah. meant anything. They wanted it to be something that anyone could sing or understand without like really understanding it. It's nothing. Yeah. You should have had them. You should have had them on the show. Yeah. What are you having <laughs> us on for? Instead of Jeff. You could have had an Eiffel 65 reunion and instead you got these two unpops heads. Oh, <laughs> Come on. I'm not. Hey. I'm not a D you head. Are. Just you, you sure Jeff. Are. You snorking dink head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice of you. Well, speaking of music, oh, guys, on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And that's in a segment called N U M B E R S. Find out what stats mean to be. N U M B E R S. Stats, 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 stats to me, 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 et cetera. You're going to get sued by Otis Redding. <laughs> Somebody suggested that to you. Yeah, so that name didn't was submitted by Jonathan Smookler. We have a new name for this segment every week. Please make them as silly and wacky as possible. Submit to SifPod on Twitter or to SifPod at gmail.com. I'm going to get. My man, a uh, rhyming dictionary. <laughs> Rude, Jeff. Rude. That's what they call me. Rude, Jeff. <laughs> Jonathan, don't listen to Jeff. You're doing great. I mean, everyone else don't either. But <laughs> everyone listen to me. Tell me some stats, Alex. Yeah, what can we some hear stats? some stats about blue? Stop dragging your wow. gosh darn feet and give us some stats. <laughs> We're thirsty for them. So the uh, the first number here is the number one. 
because uh, the surveys are not super scientific, but they are pretty consistent that blue is the world's number one favorite color. Like for most people statistically, uh, it's not a majority of people, but there was a 2015 survey by YouGov and they surveyed people in 10 countries, found that it is the favorite color of all 10 in the UK, US, Germany, Australia, China, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and Indonesia. Number one, blue. Wow. What's your favorite pizza? Pepperoni? <laughs> yes. Or like a chocolate ice cream? Like a pepperoni pizza? <laughs> imagine imagine talking because people like a tastiest thing. <laughs> are you are you're not arguing that pepperoni is the tastiest thing to put on pizza? I like me a pepperoni pizza, man. Yeah, we can't get into this right now. I'm not I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a it's a a really common thing to hear when people are asked their favorite color. Yeah. Like you all you do hear blue a lot. Are we going to are we going to reveal our favorite colors on this podcast? Like have we I think I remember on the gray episode you Adam revealed that it's yellow oh, because yeah. it's the madman's yes. favorite color. Amen. Uh, deep Sif podheads will know this of course, but I'm I'm reminding the few who don't. Deep Sif. <laughs> the touring crowd. It's a deep Sif <laughs> plot. Cook, cook, cooking grilled cheeses in their vans outside <laughs> of Alex's apartment. <laughs> Dropping acid and just vibing out. Yeah, they live on my compound. Sure, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But Jeff, that's a good idea. What's your favorite color? Blue. Dabba dee, dabba die, dabba dee, dabba die. Because it, when I was a kid, it was like extremely, very much blue. Like I would try to wear all blue outfits in preschool and kindergarten because I was that excited about it. Uh, which is uh, strange, Nerd. but it was something I was into. And now I think it's more like green or red, probably. Like I picked red for the show partly because I like red. Yeah, I don't wear a lot of yellow, though, because that's always that's a risk for so many reasons. <laughs> like you're going to drop food on it. There's a lot of shadows that aren't flattering. Yeah. But like whenever I'm like if I had the option, if I was buying an iPhone right now and all of the colors of the rainbow were at my disposal. Yeah, I would 100 percent buy a yellow one. Oh, fun. It's a very 1998 vibe. Thank you. Remember 1998 was just everyone was like, everything's yellow and orange. And we're like, is this going to stick? And they're like, absolutely it is. (laughs) Yeah, it stuck with me. I like it. But meanwhile, one band refused to go along. Their name, Eiffel 65. They shifted. So many jackets got exchanged. (laughs) So many yellow jackets traded in for blue. (laughs) Yeah, it's also, uh, the survey also found a range of second colors, like like the second place in the countries varied between red and green and purple. But blue uh, was number one in all 10 countries. It was number one in the U.S. across all age groups and across every separate ethnicity they broke it out into. It was just blue all the way. That's why we elected that uh, blue M&M oh. back in like 93. That's right. You remember that. I really thought you were going to say Joe Biden, but that's fine. Yeah, sure. That too. (laughs) I'm talking about something of consequence, actually. There is that rumor that Trump wears all that bronzer because he fell for that scam that was happening in the 2000s where you were supposed to eat silver or something. Like it was, Drink uh, uh, wow. colloidal silver. Yeah. And what? it ended up turning, it literally turned people blue. And that is one of the the rumors about why Trump wears all that tanners, because he's blueberry under there. There's a guy that looks like Blue Santa. Yes. Because he did that. And I'm obsessed with it. But yeah, they drink colloidal silver and they really go to town on it. It's supposed to make you healthier or something, but it turned everybody blue. 
It's very funny. <laughs> Use code SIFPOD at checkout to save 15% off your colloidal silver at alexjones.ru. <laughs> people still people still tout the benefits of colloidal silver. <laughs> Try it's it. still a thing. That's amazing. Try it. You like blue so much. I think it's kind of like when you feed a baby too many carrots and the baby turns orange. Like, I, I love think doing that. It's so fun. <laughs> Yeah, changing the colors Slamming of your baby. carrots down like, a baby's craw. Yeah. Turn orange! Whole carrots. Yeah. Just whole Bugs Bunny looking <laughs> carrots. It's good times. Speaking of uh, products that people could get into, the next number here is 22 out of 37. So one more time, that's 22 out of 37. That's almost 60%. That is my count of the blue logos in the 2020 Reader's Digest survey of America's most trusted brands. Almost 60% of them had a blue or at least partly blue logo. It's like incredibly common to have a blue logo for a product. People are such sheep. What's a trusted brand? Yeah, and the the brand, it's a lot of consumer stuff. The brands that were blue were Lysol, Tide, Clorox, Bosch and Lom, and then stuff like MetLife, Geico, Visa, Southwest Airlines, uh, Carnival Cruises. So things things they all have? Yeah, like Ford Motors is one of them, Dove, Coppertone, Claritin. It's just stuff. People trust Ford? Yeah. Let me tell you, from somebody who's owned several Fords. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Agreed. I mean, I think... There's something to be said about like, uh, you know, primary colors, like most logos, uh, I'm assuming that involve blue also have some red in them as well, I'm guessing. At least some. Yeah, for sure. Like Bank of America yeah. is one that comes up because it's kind of both. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know you're doing f- stats and stuff like that, but there's like kind of this unwritten rule in in superhero lore that the heroes wear primary colors and that the oh. villains and antiheroes wear the secondary colors. So you'll see a lot of like reds, blues, and yellows in superheroes and a lot of greens, purples, oranges, and villains. Oh, yeah. I I feel like those colors also tell me which heroes are kind of secondary. Like if Hawkeye's in a bunch of purple, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a a lower tier guy. Yeah. 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 Or the Hulk. The Hulk being like an anti-hero. Oh, interesting. You know, uh, not to not to backtrack too far, but at the end of the 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 last stat, you addressed the crowd uh, of people listening as folks. Interesting sidebar: the gangster disciples, whose colors are blue <laughs> and black, uh-huh. that's what they call each other is folks, which also made calling someone folks where I grew up a kind <laughs> of dicey prospect. At, I, at one point, we had a school assembly, and the principal called everyone folks. And the audience lost it. They were like, oh, my God, he's in a gang. That's, he so doesn't that even Porky, realize what he's saying. What an idiot. Porky Pig is a disciple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I like that. Anyway. That's. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to keep finding out standard central Illinois stuff that was somehow gang behavior in that town. Like if you ate McDonald's, you were a vice lord. You couldn't get it if you weren't. a. <laughs> if you were Burger King, you were a disciple. Yeah. <laughs> But next number here is $54 billion American. $54 billion is the value of the world denim industry as of 2011. And denim, uh, the first Levi's jeans in 1873 were made with indigo dye that looks pretty blue. Uh, that, that led to blue jeans being one of the most popular clothing items in the world. It's, it's also, I remember one of my college professors, because one of my specialties was Russian history, and uh, he would travel to the Soviet Union every year. And he would bring makeup and blue jeans 
in a, a suitcase and he would bribe members of the KGB with those things. The women would get the makeup and the men would get blue jeans. That's amazing. And American candy. He used to bring American candy with him. Mm. Now that works the other way around. You're going to bribe me. You got to bring me some Canadian sweets. <laughs> or bring me some Russian mayonnaise. <laughs> hey. Uh, uh, that's a callback. <laughs> I love it. Tying it together. You do a lot of episodes that I'm really jealous that I'm not on. Oh, and you were man. like, we're doing mayonnaise. I'm like, I would fight to the death to defend mayonnaise on this show. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Uh-huh. People who dip their fries in it are lunatics. I mean, give me a nice aioli, though. You know, it's different. I mean, it's pretty much it's different. <laughs> is it? Yeah. You know what? This is now a mayonnaise pot. <laughs> no. <laughs> Secretly, incredibly mayonnaise. <laughs> Next number is 10 hours and 39 minutes. And 10 hours and 39 minutes is the approximate amount of time Americans spend in front of screens per day. That was a Nielsen survey in 2016. It may be more now that we're all home all the time. But that obviously means getting some blue light brought to you. And there's kind of mixed uh, research and messages out there about blue light. It seems to be something that messes with people's sleep cycles to get too much of it. Um, But also we'll link an article from Popular Science called Stop Blaming Blue Light for All Your Problems by Alex Schwartz in 2019. They talked to an ophthalmologist who says that the concern with blue light is based on studies done on individual cells or animals and also using amounts of blue light that we don't really get from screens as people. So it's not clear exactly how it affects us. Yeah, there's a lot of correlation that isn't necessarily causation. When people are like, I look at a screen for 10 hours and I'm miserable curse that blue light and it's like no i think you're just staring at a yeah. screen for 10 hours yeah it's the it's, <laughs> it's glowing it's, that it's, it's a, the only light you're seeing during the winter if you're in the midwest and have a day job you see your computer yeah, yeah. screen and you don't see the sun yeah all you see is glowing rectangles that's not good you know they're not giving you good news all the time <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean most electronics have that have that night mode now where it goes like sepia tone like you're taking those (laughs) old western glamour shots at the mall like an old 1930s iphone yeah (laughs) playing the the entertainer is playing while you're trying to (laughs) sext somebody or some wanted the coward that murdered jesse james (laughs) your phone starts going crazy like uh, another outlaw alert man i'm trying to work here it's frustrating i'm not gonna catch him A lot of horse information on next door coming out. (laughs) We're going to get into one more number here. Uh, The number is 1876, which is a year. 1876 is a year when a man named Augustus James Pleasanton started a nationwide American health fad based on blue glass. So this is kind of the reverse of how we think about blue light now. Uh, He was a former Civil War general, and he wrote a book called The influence of the blue ray of the sunlight and of the blue color of the sky in developing animal and vegetable life, in arresting disease, and in restoring health in acute and chronic disorders to human and domestic animals. That was the whole title of the book. Uh, We need to to talk about 1800s book titles. Yeah. (laughs) And how they need to calm the hell down. (laughs) It's basically a book. Like just the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah, all, that it's like that Charles Darwin book called On the Origin of Species. And then the rest of it is like four lines of white nationalist stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Great. 
That's you. You. I remember you quoted that in your Ace of Base article because Ace of Base quotes it in one of their videos. Yeah. For some reason. And that video blew by Eiffel sixty five. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All comes back. Feet Ace of Base. But this guy, his name's again Augustus James Pleasanton, and he was a former Civil War general who just published a book that said, if you surround yourself with blue glass and get blue light projected on you, like you and your crops and your animals will all thrive. It'll it'll be like this magic positive health thing for you. And Oh, it's like the secret. <laughs> it's the blue secret. That's been happening for over a century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Power of positive thinking. Yeah, he was uh. a he was a crystal girl. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll have a Vox article linked about it because they say that for the next few years in the U.S., blue glass prices went up 50%. Uh, He also patented a blue glass-based greenhouse and then cashed in on that. And it was like the goop of its time was like surrounding yourself for a few years with blue windows. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy that that they just like keep doing that. Like it's just a system of like what grifts are. Yeah. Like consistently, where it's just like, oh, all you need is just like one person to back this thing and things move pretty well. We're in the wrong business. Yeah, that's all Man, it takes. I got to get a good grift. I gotta get a good, got to get a good grift. Mm, like a health claim. Where we're messing up is not being like these like conspiracy theory podcasters who are constantly like, we got to raise money to fight the deep state. And like they'll have like a, a weekly campaign fundraising thing and they're bringing in like a hundred thousand dollars a weekend it's like your people put up with that we should do that insane yeah well they're 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 cashing in all their colloidal silver for regular silver you know (laughs) man that's crazy just like surround yourself in blue now i'm gonna get rich see you later he's like the myspace guy (laughs) yeah exactly like drop something and like it's and just takes off at the peak man yeah. I've got to get a good grift. Or a blue glass house would be nice, too. Or a blue greenhouse. I like the idea of somebody being like, if you surround yourself with blue precious gems, like surround yourself with sapphires and you will be wealthy. And it's like, well, yeah, I think that's kind of the point of the <laughs> sapphires, right? <laughs> and like, uh, surround yourself with stacks and stacks of cash and you will be financially comfortable. <laughs> Thank you, book. Right. There's no science behind that. The grift is like you got to write a book that people will want to read that is just a lie. Yeah. And then keep doing it. Like the secret is that. And there's like sequels to the secret. I don't I don't get that. Further secrets. Man. Yeah. They didn't get it yeah. out in the first one. Yeah. What's the what is it? Did you do the last thing? You're doing great. Yeah. Thanks for helping me fulfill my wealth secret by buying my book. That's true. I would I would be very mad if I bought someone's book with secrets about the universe and then they did another one i'd be like why didn't you just put it in the first one obviously you knew you're just like stringing me along at this point yeah the last book was 120 pages you could have padded them for a little bit (laughs) could have given me an extra an extra 80 pages and it still would have been an easy read off of that we are going to a short break followed by a whole new takeaway Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet. And try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Well, we got a we got a couple takeaways here about further stuff about the color blue. I'm very excited. Going into takeaway number one. For most of history, blue was either an ancient Egyptian technology. Or a very valuable trade good. Like the dye? Yeah, like dyes and, and things to make things blue. Yeah, that was something that was very hard to get and very hard to like mine and acquire and create. And the ancient Egyptians were very good at it. It's like one of their main achievements was making stuff blue. That's such a weird achievement to have. <laughs> or just like, and one of their achievements is they turn blue. It's just like, wow, that's all right. How did that come about, though? Was it did that was there something in the region that? I th- it seems like it's more the kind of thing where they figured out how to mix a couple minerals and they just figured it out uh, before other people and separately from other people. Yeah. Which is strange. We're so used to colors just kind of happening and presenting themselves now, but it, it used to be a lot of legwork all of the time in history to generate colors. I don't like that. Mm. I take for, I take for granted that I have access to all colors and therefore I'm not interested in that information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not, that's not a world I want to live in. I don't find that fascinating at all. <laughs> well, it's a, I, I sent you guys a sample of what's called Egyptian blue. They kind of had one main shade they tended to generate. The historian Simon Shama describes it as a soft mid blue is the shade, which I think is about right. It kind of looks like the Dodgers blue to me. Yeah, it's just blue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where like, oh, only one shade. I'm really impressed. Great job, Egypt. <laughs> That's the in and out of of colors, where they're just like, we do one thing only. <laughs> <laughs> now tell everybody it's great. Right. <laughs> I don't think I want to do that. Wear it animal style. <laughs> Gotta love it. Linda, uh, we'll have a few links about it. Uh, Peter Brown, writing for Scientific American, says that Egyptian blue is not only the oldest man-made color blue, it is the oldest synthetic pigment of any kind. So blue was the first color anybody made out of stuff uh, you, at all. Do you, do you think Mr. Brown was just doing color study because of the pun? <laughs> that that like it would be like if I studied calendars for my life and everyone would be like, oh, calm down. Because <laughs> oh, of May. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does Adam Todd Brown have any comments on Peter Brown? Uh, on the name... When I was a child, my my dad would routinely field calls from people asking for Mr. Green. And he would go, no, you have the wrong color, and would hang up. Because that was such a popular prank phone call, 
is you would call, you'd op- flip open the phone book, call someone with like the last name Brown or Black or Blue, and be like, hey, can I speak to Mr. Green? And they go, no, this is Mr. Black. And they go, oh, I have the wrong color, and hang up. And my dad eventually would just be like, no, that's, you have the wrong color. That's not mean enough for a prank. It's yeah. not, no. It's just a waste of time. My brother used to prank this one guy, and they would just call his house and ask him if he sold drills. <laughs> And they did that for like several years, and then like he like changed his number, and they like found it out, and they called him again. <laughs> and that, to me, is great to like harass somebody with such a specific prank, you know. <laughs> Don't do that, people at home. So Egyptian blue, it was. We think the Egyptians developed it about five thousand years ago, and according to Peter Brown, quote. Color makers fired a mixture of one part lime, one part copper oxide, and four parts quartz in a kiln. That left an opaque blue material that can be ground into a fine powder for making paint. So it was just a bunch of like chemistry with minerals, and then they did it. Man, imagine being around at that time, like 90% of everything is a discovery. Yeah. <laughs> I bet even then, like they brought out the blue paint and people were like, what do we have to paint stuff for? It looks fine. Yeah. Like everything they develop, people are like, come on. What's wrong yeah. with how we're doing it now? I right. mean, to be honest, it doesn't feel like it's stuck because every time I see Egypt in a movie, it's just sand colored everywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the paint might have chipped away after. Well, then the, it I wasn't mean, the Egyptian good pyramids, paint. You, the Egyptian pyramids used to be like a glimmering white. Yeah. Or they were covered in tiles. Maybe they should have been a little better at the painting instead of the mixing and we wouldn't have had this problem. That's a great point. <laughs> Sorry, ancient <laughs> Egypt. I had to study ancient Egypt in like fourth grade. I had to learn all about it. And I knew I like still know all the gods names. And I'm like, this is useless. It is. <laughs> I, I would have I would have loved to have taken a class on taxes. If Alex asks you to list them off, I'm leaving the podcast right now. That's how uninterested I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know. The, I know that like that name of the eye, you know, that like eye that they always have floating around. That thing's called Ujat. I remember that from fourth grade. I don't remember long division. <laughs> Well, and with with blue and their gods, blue was like a core thing for painting temples and painting artifacts and like a lot of ceremonial things. Apparently, we've found artifacts as old as 2500 BC that still have some Egyptian blue paint on them. They also would paint the traditional deity of Amun-Ra would often be depicted with blue skin or hair because that represented like the Nile and vitality and stuff. Because he drank colloidal silver. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That'll do it. Well, and then uh, that like chemistry process I mentioned before is pretty laborious and pretty hard. And so according to Cassia St. Clair, who wrote the book, The Secret Lives of Color, she's a cultural historian and design journalist. According to her, artists after the ancient Egyptians tried to find like super valuable materials that looked blue rather than doing all that process. And so about a thousand years ago from now, people kind of stopped doing the Uh, like careful mixing and burning and stuff that the Egyptians did to make this. It's really hard. The, the pottery process that they went through to make that. Yeah. And they were just like, let's just grind up some blue stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Which is kind of, that's that's pretty smart to be honest. Yeah. Cause then also the other, so we talked about Egyptian technology, the other way people got, you know, like blue paints and blue coloring uh, other than that is world trade. And sort of sort of like that spice trade with wooden sailing ships we think of, there was a trade for blue stuff in the past. 
And because we didn't get more synthetic blues until around the 1700s when a chemist in Berlin accidentally invented something called Prussian blue. But before that, we were using stuff like a substance called ultramarine and dyes like indigo that people had to like sail and caravan around the world to get. That was how like especially Europe would get a lot of their blue. I um I used to teach about trade. That was like one of my big my big units was sort of the growth of trade and how it leads to the growth of um cities and towns, which is how it leads really to cool. the growth of like and it was really interesting because like at the time when I taught like I could use malls as like a really solid example <laughs> as to like malls are like the cities of modern commerce where like yeah. all the important trade routes are located. Malls were always located on like the intersection of two highways. Generally speaking, just like the the biggest cities were on the intersections of two uh, waterways. And it was like oh, this sure. really great unit. It like landed really well. And now I think about it. And if I tried to do that unit in 2021 about like and like malls and they'd be like i don't know what that is like, it's, <laughs> yeah it's a weird god i miss malls i miss blue malls there we go it's part of the podcast now <laughs> there was basically a period between ancient egypt and the 1700s or so where you could either if you're in europe especially you could either make blue out of woad which was not a not an amazing dye for stuff you think of like celtic warriors wearing it but otherwise it's not amazing for a substance called ultramarine, which is Latin for beyond the sea, they had to get it from one mine in what's now modern Afghanistan, high in the mountains. It's called the Sar-e-Sang Mines. And they would mine a rock called lapis lazuli, grind that down, and then turn that into blue pigments for painting, which is a real pain. That's it's like a lot of labor to do. Lapis lazuli. That's a that's just a fun that's a fun thing to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember like ultramarine, that was a Crayola color, right? At one point, I think I, I think remember an aquamarine. Oh, yeah. uh, maybe it was that. But I think also, you mean can, aquamarine. Can we talk about? Yeah, you're probably right. But can we talk about how ultramarine is like probably the best name for a color? Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking that. Like that's what blue should switch to. It's oh, really cool. ultramarine. Uh, ultramarine blue uh, existed from 1903 to 1944 from Crayola. Okay, oh, so yes, neither neither of us did ever use. <laughs> no, I had those. Crayon. Oh yeah, the nineteen ninety. I'm 115. And, I, used to, uh, I would only take vintage Crayolas to school. Yeah, kind of an old soul. Like a, like a, some hipster third grader. <laughs> Just like velocipedic to grade school. Like ah, yeah. I've got my antique crayons ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Just stashing up old old Indian red crayons because you know those are going to disappear at some point. <laughs> oh, boy. that was a what a problematic color to put in a crayon box yeah I, like, and here's a racist one well I, I was looking at the other elaborate trade process here to talk about is indigo because that comes from the greek word indicon meaning a substance from india so when you said indian red i was thinking about the country of india but oh boy yeah that that other thing was in a box wow no yeah that was and that was in a box like in the 80s probably the 90s yeah oh yeah like when I, I may have crested outside of the Crayola uh, sort of purview in the 90s, but I, I certainly <laughs> wouldn't doubt that they'd be like, ah, we're not going to change the name. <laughs> but then as far as getting a, a hold of blue, Cassia St. Clair writes that, quote, indigo has been a bedrock of global trade from as far back as records and educated guesswork allow, end quote. In Roman times, one pound of indigo dye cost 20 denarii, which was 15 days wages for a laborer. 
Uh, and then there's other stories we can link about um, just entire imperialistic movements happening, such as Spain taking over what's now Guatemala, that then became situations where they tried to grow as much indigo as possible just to get dye, like just to make stuff blue. Indigo. Ah, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but then we got a little more history stuff. Let's get into takeaway number two. Blue was unpopular in Europe until specific developments in Catholic art in the 1100s. And mm. I know I know we're all huge fans of 1100s art, uh, so we all know this. Yeah, already, I was, gu- was but... going to bring this up if you didn't, so I'm glad. <laughs> I'm just glad you finally got to it. The, mi- the Middle Ages, man. I got to tell you, that was the one. I mean, I guess it makes sense, too, because if you're looking, you said the 1100s, and the first crusade started in 1096, which means a lot of Europeans were traveling towards areas like the Byzantine Empire and then towards the Middle East. So I guess it would make sense that they would have more access to blue as well, and that would bring that back. Yeah, that, that, that must be part of it. Because, yeah, this is partly a trade thing and also... Like we were just saying, it was incredibly hard to just get blue, like to make things blue. And so between that and cultural reasons, Europe was just not that into it. And then we'll weirdly have a story here where a couple things dovetail and suddenly Europe is way into blue. Like it's like they're a kid having a new phase or something. It's that, And that is uh, that has a lot to do with the Crusades. The Crusades brought um, different foods and spices uh, over to uh, Western Europe, you know, and then uh, the other aspect of that, of course, being, you know, colors and art styles and things like that. So glad those crusades happened. (laughs) I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Okay. They were only bad for some people. (laughs) It's like a right wing comic character where they're like, I know I'm going to get canceled, but I'm glad acre fell or some weird, like really obscure (laughs) (laughs) crusades thing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there was, man, I had to watch the same crusades documentary four times a year back to back because of the different classes that I, and like there was, you learned some (laughs) about the cruise, like about, there was like a lot of cannibalism happening during the crusades. And you're like, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of things where they were like the, the crusaders ended up eating, um, you know, Saracen corpses and they were like, just like spread the word that we did that. And that is a, that is a horror to share that information. Yeah, wow. There's a bunch of QAnon people listening now, like, there's cannibalism happening now, too. <laughs> I mean, technically, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, as far as Europe's uh, love of blue, before the 1100s, they were just not that into it across the board. According to Cassia St. Clair, you had Paleolithic cultures who mostly painted in black and white and red. And then the Romans associated blue with barbarians. They they didn't like the Celtic soldiers would paint themselves blue. Uh, the writer Pliny said that women would paint themselves blue before participating in orgies, which he thought was a bad thing. And then apparently early Christian writings, uh, there was a 19th century survey of early Christian authors, and they found that blue was the least used color. It was a mere 1% of the total amount of colors mentioned in their writing. So early Europe was just like not that into this color. Didn't do it. Well, yeah, because they couldn't make blue. He's just not that into blue. <laughs> and so, uh, so then this this takeaway is very specific about the 1100s because then we have a couple different things all kind of take off at once. And one of them is 
a French statesman and historian and abbot named the Abbot Suget, who lived in the 1100s and oversaw the reconstruction of Saint-Denis Abbey in what is now the suburbs of Paris in the 1130s and 1140s. Quote, it was here the craftsmen perfected the technique of coloring glass with cobalt to create the famous ink blue windows that they took with them to other cathedrals, end quote. So they figured out like a cobalt system to do blue stained glass. And everybody in Europe was like, this is amazing. Blue glass? You kidding me? Freaking out. Yeah, that, 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 that. And then that dude in the 1800s wrote that book. Right. It took him a good seven, 760 <laughs> years to do it, but he finally did. Right. Um, but yeah, that, but that really does tie into the timeline and, and the significance of, of cause and effect when you look at, yeah. because the seat, like literally the crusade started in Claremont, France, when Urban II called all these leaders to say, hey, stop fighting each other. Let's go fight the Muslims. And then they leave. And then, yeah, so about 30 to 40 years later, they're coming back. Or, or like, you know, people have been back, they've established themselves, they have established trade, and now all of a sudden this is blowing up. Like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the only reason I really liked history is because it's an easy thing to make sense with. Oh, man. I love that. I was like, oh, so it's just like a thing happened and then another thing happened? I can teach this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the, uh, the other, like, Catholic spark we have here is this Cassius St. Clair again, quote, at around the same time, the Virgin Mary was increasingly depicted wearing bright blue robes. Previously, she had been usually shown in dark colors that conveyed her mourning for the death of her son, end quote. And that fits with what I saw, like, as a uh, grown-up Catholic kid. Like, Mary wore blue a lot, and I guess it came from this time. And so people were like, and if that's Mary's color, I should show I'm Catholic by, like, doing a bunch of blue stuff, obviously. Like, I love Mary. You know. Before that, it was in the European colors of the red, white, and black, and it just looked like she was wearing a Bulls jersey. <laughs> she probably was. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. She had the number 40, the 45 Jordan on. Like, wow, that's, those are rare. <laughs> no, that's the worst Jordan number. Yeah, but those are like super valuable. Those original 45 jerseys when they came out, they're worth like such a, such a huge amount of money. Yeah. I have a friend that had one of those, and then he died, and we were all just like, What's going on with that forty-five jersey, though? <laughs> what? He also has he also has a, a signed photo of Nolan Ryan punching Robin Ventura, and we were all just like staring at it. It's at a good the, photo, you know. Like afterwards, when we were having like the party at the parents' house, and we're all just like, "What do you think is going to happen to the Nolan Ryan picture?" <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one song when he passed away. By the way, "Blue" by Eiffel sixty-five. There you go. Uh, right on New Year's 2000. Y2K, baby. <laughs> what Full <a> circle. <laughs> when, uh, and so between this like church window and crusades thing going on, and then also the turning blue into the color of the Virgin Mary, Europe gets really, really, really into blue in a way that is even like measurable and recorded. Cassius St. Clair says, for one thing, artists starting around 1400 started depicting Mary wearing bright blue and so also they started writing in their contracts that we still have, like language that said, you, my patron, will provide either money or money for a trip to Venice so I can get enough blue pigment to paint this blue stuff. There's also one other, one other piece of evidence for blue becoming more popular is kings started using it more because of Mary. According to St. Clair, quote, at the end of the 12th century, which is the 1100s, 
the French royal family adopted a new coat of arms, which was a gold fleur-de-lis on an azure ground, as a tribute to the Virgin, end quote. And she says from there, everybody copied them. And in 1200, only 5% of European coats of arms had blue. By 1250, it was 15%. By 1300, a quarter. By 1400, just under one third. So in about 200 years, we went from almost none to almost a third of European royal families wearing blue because they got way into it. Kind of how I feel doing podcasts. (laughs) Like you were were one of the few and then everybody else showed up? My... (laughs) <laughs> Been doing it a while. That's all I'm saying. Go on, I'm Jeff. Just saying my ancestral family's coat of arms is so it's like the worst. It's like the worst one ever. It's just it's a red shield with like four rectangles above and four rectangles below that are just yellow. So it's just like essentially like a red shield with eight yellow squares. <laughs> hey, everybody! Jeff's family has a coat of arms. Fancy. That's that. The faded tattoo that I got. <laughs> Show the audience. Show the people. Wait. Oh, you have a tattoo of it? Yeah, because I was trash in New England. <laughs> That's what happens when you're 18 years old and white in New England. It's either this or a Red Sox tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, uh, there's a weird thing where, I don't know, an entire continent decided to get into a favorite color together. And it kind of stuck with us. Like that's that a third is about the percentage that they find in those surveys for people who blue is their favorite color. It's very strange. That's cool symmetry. Yeah. And from here, let's get into the last takeaway of the episode. Takeaway number three. Blue raspberry flavoring is an elaborate trick in three different ways. Yeah, that's... I've heard this. I blue raspberry back when i had that blue phase where it was my absolute favorite color in a a militant way i was really into blue raspberry slurpees and candy and everything i don't know about you guys but that was my thing i think that was like the predominant flavor of the of the early to mid 90s yeah yeah i remember being into it for a while when it was first a thing but it got so worn out and even now i'm like blue i know what you are get out of here there's no (laughs) blue raspberries get out of here yeah, yeah, shit on him. Blue raspberries are blueberries. You're not tricking me anymore, Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, you're not a fruit if you have a Z. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> the double. They're like raspberries. It's like that's not real. That's it's not like real. when you're at a restaurant and you see wings on the menu, but it's spelled with a Y and a Z. You're like, right. why aren't you just writing wings? What's up? Or chicken. When it's like chicken, yeah, it's like C H I K apostrophe N, you're like, that's not real. And it's always, it's always the mystery flavor. If anything says mystery flavor, I promise you're not going to rip that wrapper off and taste cherry. It's going to be blue raspberry. Yeah, I was never brave enough to eat a mystery flavor dum dum, but those mystery flavor Airheads, the ones that are just white, I think it's blue raspberry. That's blue raspberry, yeah, yeah. which is so <laughs> insulting because they have blue raspberry Airheads. The worst airhead, I would argue. That would be funny if, like, the mystery flavor was, like, green onion. <laughs> yeah. Like ch- like sour cream and chive airheads or something. <laughs> Loaded baked potato. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, wouldn't that be great? You know? Ranch. A nice ranch <laughs> airhead. Get me going through it. Have either of you played that jelly bean game where the the you take turns and the jelly bean will either be an actual jelly bean or it'll taste like boogers? Like boogers is one of them. All flavored um, jelly beans from Harry Potter. Pretty bots, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's a similar concept. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, 
I did that. I did that once on Portugal, the man's tour bus and got nothing but real jelly beans. It was like, I get that you won jeopardy a few times, but (laughs) yes, I made made some Grammy winners eat flavored jelly beans. So I feel like I'm doing all right. Exactly. It wasn't my idea. I'm not a, who am I? Ashton Kutcher. I did, Adam. I definitely imagine that story as they were about to go on stage, and then like John can't sing right because he just had this weird jelly bean, and you're like, "I'm doing fine." Like, I mean, it was pretty close. Was pretty close to showtime. <laughs> Adam just—I don't remember who got all the trash jelly beans. I think Scott, the road manager, which is fair. Oh, he can do it. That, that works for me. <laughs> He's—that he, is a that man is—he's a strong man. I feel like he could take it. Yeah, like, he's oh. one of my favorite people in the whole world. I love Scott. I always yeah, assume yeah. Scott hates me. <laughs> I'm always like, hey, you like hate me, right? And he's like, no, I'm just busy. And I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> and that's why he hates you. <laughs> well, we uh, so there's three reasons here that blue raspberry is an elaborate trick. One of them is that that's not really a fruit. The other one is that that's not really a flavor. And then the other one is that it's a way of getting around U.S. federal law. So we'll talk about each of these in order. Uh, it's all like it's e- I think people understand that it's artificial in general because it's technicolor. But there's like a lot of deception here going on. I, f- I find it hard to believe that the sugar peddling industry would deceive us in any way. <laughs> Do we know what like the formula is for the flavor? Yeah. Our main sources are Bon Appetit and also Mental Floss. It both done great articles about this. But the first thing, the flavor here. Bon Appetit reached out to Jerry Bowman, the executive director of the Flavor and Extract Manufacturers Association of the United States. So that's a person. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, He says that the flavor profile of artificial raspberry was developed using, quote, mostly esters of the banana, cherry, and pineapple variety, end quote. So it's really just made of other fruits. I can't taste the banana in it, though. Yeah, when you say it that way, it actually sounds a little more appetizing. <laughs> Let's just call it cherry, banana, and pineapple, pineapple was it? Yeah, yeah banana, it's cherry, like, pineapple. Yeah, that's like cherry pina colada. Yeah. Yeah, like if it had been that this whole time, I'd be like one of my favorite candy flavors, honestly. Yeah, it's like tropical cherry, way into it. I like when they make the cherry really pop. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, it's partly made of those things because there are real raspberries, obviously. But according to Bon Appetit, there aren't really anything close to that bright blue raspberry in nature. There is something called the white bark raspberry. And I sent you guys a picture of it. Uh, The white bark raspberry, if it gets extremely ripe, it can start to like be a little bit bluish, but still really, really dark. And that's what some of the flavor people say. Like they say, hey, see, it's real, but it's not. It's it's made up. We used to call those blackberries. And uh, and then when I had real blackberries, I was like, oh, that, that's a very different thing. We used to have <laughs> yeah. those those wild bushes uh, at my my family's old place back home. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a, a flavor really made of banana, cherry, pineapple. It's not doesn't really exist in nature. And then the other thing going on here is that in the mid 20th century, you have frozen treat manufacturers making like, you know, like a box of Otter Pops or or trying to make ices or something. And they realized that a bunch of good fruits are reddish, including raspberries, because you also have cherry, you have strawberry, you have like watermelon is pinkish red. And so they said, hey, we need like different reds for each of these fruits in the artificial flavor. Here's Mental Floss quote. 
Scientists soon found out, though, that the most inexpensive and widely available dye for the deep red of raspberries provoked severe reactions and was deemed a possible carcinogen. Uh, And this is FD&C red number two was initially used for raspberry flavors because it's like a deep red that looks like a red raspberry. But then they decided it might be bad for you. Mm. And good old Louis Blue Raspberry reaps the benefits. Yes. (laughs) Bon Appetit talked to Ai Hisano, who is a Harvard business historian, who says that there was research in 1957 saying that the dye was safe, but it was a report funded by the dye industry and possibly not uh, valid. And then other studies in the 60s and 70s suggested that it's bad for you, and in 1976, the FDA banned it. Um, It's still used in the UK and in some other countries. It's not actually clear whether it's bad for you or not. But in the meantime, food companies had this blue color just sitting around. And according to University of Pennsylvania food historian Nadia Berenstein, the blue dye was, quote, the final frontier for food coloring. And she says that basically just some loose like flavor was going to get it, and it was a matter of time. And they ended up picking raspberry. That's what happened. The forbidden blue. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, raspberry. <laughs> yeah. So they developed this like fake flavor for a fake fruit to get around finding out that a dye they were using before was maybe bad for you, maybe not. It's all like like illusions and mirrors and smoke. Everybody wins. <laughs> I get to the UK, get some of that red number two. Yeah. I believe it's pronounced red number two. <laughs> Over there. There's an X, there's an O in number. <laughs> number two. Two. Number. You, get it. you can only get it from people who look and talk like Mick Jagger. That's the only way. <laughs> That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Adam Todd Brown and to Jeff May for being uh, just the best. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, because patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is blue whales and blue lobsters. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than two dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring the color blue with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, for most of history, blue was either an ancient Egyptian technology or an exotic trade good. Takeaway number two, blue was unpopular in Europe until specific developments in Catholic art in the 1100s. And takeaway number three, blue raspberry flavoring is an elaborate trick in three different ways. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. And I, because I already told you about the Unpopular Opinion Podcast Network, you know, uh, created and built by Adam Todd Brown. Jeff May is often there. He also podcasts elsewhere. Also, I want to read you a tweet from somebody else that I think captures something important about these guys. The tweet is by a fan of the show named Michael, username at bad underscore Shakespeare, which, which is just a fun username, too. 
Uh, and Michael tweeted this in August when uh, this show was pretty much brand new and I went on their show to like uh, partly talk about it, which was really nice to get to do. And here's this tweet from Michael, quote, if I knew nothing else about at Unpops, I would judge it on the fact that a friend of the network was fired from his full-time job and started his own podcast, so they dedicated this week's episode to promoting him. Fan for life for both podcasts. End quote. And I think that's a better plug than anything I have. Like, like, please check out Unpopular Opinion, created and run by Adam. Please check out Jeff's other shows with Gamefully Unemployed and with Sideshow's Sideshow. Uh, they're, they're making awesome stuff anyway. Like it's, it stands on its own. And then on top of that, they're wonderful guys and, and wonderful friends. Uh, so I, I implore you to support them if any, if you can in any way, uh, and you also have a good time doing it. So win-win. So yeah, wonderful guests this week. We also had many research sources this week, and here are some key ones. A great article in the New Yorker by historian Simon Shama. It's titled Treasures from the Color Archive. A great book titled The Secret Lives of Color, written by cultural historian Cassia St. Clair. Also a deep dive from Bon Appetit. It is titled What Even Is Blue Raspberry Anyway? And it's by Michael Y. Park. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>